Hey, everybody. Hey, Sam. Hey, Peter. Hey, what's up? How's it going, Dan? Yeah, I'm uh, doing well. Sitting in the mountains here and uh, just outside of Quebec City, so um, kind of enjoying myself in that respect. Um, interesting to kind of to try and do a Twitter space from uh, from a truck, but uh, <laughs> but it's going to be fun nonetheless, I'm sure. Um, and I'm excited about this conversation here today, too. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Peter, how's it going? I got him on mute here. Um, do I have uh, Zikian as well? Is that how I pronounce that? Yeah, Zikian. Or you can call Perfect. me Stephanie. Stephanie, okay. <laughs> um, I'm just waiting for Vijesh to jump on here as well. Um, yeah, I kind of just wanted to have a, a broad conversation today about sort of whether or not we can expect. Um, I, I think there's been a lot of talk about sort of this arbitrage that a lot of people feel exists in Canadian real estate and such that, um, you know, there is and, and the perception is that there will always be more demand than there is supply for Canadian real estate. And, and you know, immigration is obviously a major factor in that, given that the targets are being revised upwards on a re regular basis. And I'm just curious, you know, obviously, I, I don't really have a great perspective on this, um, given my lack of, uh, you know, involvement in that that segment of the industry, per se. Um, and, and so I wanted to just have a, have a more exploratory thought. We actually feel that this is still the case in the short term and in the long term. Um, you know, in such that there have been some conversations about the ability for the, the, you know, those moving here to purchase a home that, you know, that conversation as prices were escalating, but also now as capital costs are escalating, as affordability becomes lower and lower, are we actually either a, you know, creating a, 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 an economy in which it, it's possible to immigrate into, or B, are we setting people up for failure sort of in, in that respect? Um, and then, and then the, the other um, component of the conversation is whether or not you know it, it's attractive for those who can, like the ones who are are able to afford it in Canada. Whether or not the you know it is as, as attractive to live that quality of life here versus where they they might have been coming from. Um, and and so because I think we're starting to hear a lot more of these anecdotal conversations about people choosing to, you know, choosing not to, to go to Canada as an example. And I'm just curious because there's, there's not much data on it and, and there's not much like conversation around it. And so I just really wanted to have an open dialogue about what, what we all think, because I think that this is, you know, maybe one of the remain, the only remaining factors that people really believe is a major bull case in the short short term i think long term you know we sort of understand that after the headwinds that canadian real estate will face it's probably ultimately going to do okay but you know in the short term is it actually something that could could help the market the way that a lot of people speak about it uh, yeah so um I, I don't know if anybody has any any comments just sort of on all of that there like sanj i don't know if you want to kind of just get started given yeah, that yeah yeah you go ahead um, I actually have an interesting anecdotal experience I can share right now. One of my cousins, uh, he moved here, I want to say about five or six years ago from India. He's got teenage kids, all that stuff. Wanted to get them settled in here before they went to university here. And he actually just bought a house. He's closing in two weeks and it's his first purchase. It took him about five, six years to get to that point. Gifted down payment from his sibling, like all that stuff had to happen for it to get done. And 
you know, he obviously pushed the envelope a little bit trying to get it done just because of where he saw, you know, prices going over the last two years. I tried to talk him down a little bit, like obviously from what we see every day, like, you know, take a take a more measured approach. There's no need to rush into it. Things are kind of coming into play that will work out better for you if you wait from the um, pricing perspective. Um, on that side of things, like, look, it took him six years to buy a house, right? And he's coming from a wealthy background back in India. And having sat down with him last week and talking to him about his financial situation here and lifestyle here versus every day he regrets moving here for his personal lifestyle, but he knows that it's better for his kids versus the opportunities that they had back home. Um, he works, you know, 12, 13 hours a day. His wife works 12, 13 hours a day, six days a week. And they came from a lifestyle of having a driver and a chef and cleaning staff in their house. Right. So you have to think about that, right? Like, especially in places like India, Pakistan, um, the Emirates, Saudi Arabia, that kind of stuff. Like the lifestyle over there, if you have even a decent level of what we live like here, it's unparalleled. You will not get that type of lifestyle here, right? Unless you're making millions a year. It's a totally different experience. Um, that's kind of one anecdote I'd like to share. But uh, just speaking further to the immigrant experience, right? I mean, if you think about the numbers of people that we're getting, how many of them are coming through the student route, for example, right? Um, that's a significant portion of the population that's just renting or, you know, living in rooming houses, that kind of thing. They're not buying for five to ten years they're they're not stabilized for a period of time um they're not necessarily high earners right they're probably going to be making something like 50k a year or less right um they're not to sound crass but at the end of the day they're kind of like cogs in a wheel of our economy more than anything else the best chance that they have a life and i've seen this firsthand is going to cities like regina for example right the south asian community in regina for example specifically punjabis out there like massive it's absolutely massive compared to what it was five years ago um you know it went from a temple being a weekly thing held in a house that someone's probably now actually having a bona fide seat temple there right and it's a community that started off as students now they all own property they've been there for about five ten years they're married they brought their wife over from back home whatever it was they've got kids now and it's you know it's a burgeoning community and eventually kind of th i was thinking about it from a wedding industry perspective like hey you know it doesn't have a wedding industry yet that might be a next bastion, a next frontier for that type of business. And that's probably 15 years down the line. But like just, you know, different things like that to think about as well. Thanks a lot, Sander. I really appreciate it, actually. And that's a great insight. I have a question I would have as a follow-up in regards to that, especially um, mentioning the student experiences. Do you have like either anecdotal or I don't know if there would be data on this, but like insight on sort of the professions that people are uh are pursuing through education because i know like especially when you look at waterloo as an example i think waterloo uh is a net exporter of um i, I guess we're sort of like a net exporter of stem professionals in in canada actually and so and i would imagine a lot of individuals coming here are, are going in system with that profession in mind i think right and then I think from the STEM perspective, at least with, with coding, et cetera, we're sending a lot of people down to California, Silicon Valley, et cetera. And so I guess my curiosity is like, is that, it, you know, when you talk about the transitory nature of those people moving and, and coming here from the education perspective, are they kind of just here also contributing to the economy in a very short perspective as well and not actually looking to be here to, you know, I guess, 
create roots and get on the ground, but, but really just doing it to get to, cause I hear a lot of, you know, like this idea that people will go to Canada with the, with the objective of get, getting to the, to the U S or whatever it is. Right. And I don't know, I really have no way of understanding exactly what that phenomena is. Um, but Josh, I see your hand up there and then maybe actually Sanj, go ahead. Do you, you want to answer that one? If you know, and then no, I was going to say, Vijesh, yeah, go ahead. And then I got, I got some good comments on that one. Okay. Yeah. Vijesh, if you want to jump in there. So, I mean, okay, answering your question about the type of work they're doing, um, you're seeing a little bit of everything, for example, uh, labor jobs, working in Tim Hortons, fast food, that kind of thing, restaurant service workers, um, entry level, data entry type of stuff, um, smaller time marketing type work, that kind of thing. Like, if you go to a Sheridan College in the GTA, you're going to see a lot of colorful turbans. Love those guys, but you know that's that's kind of what you see there, right? It is what it is. Um, and having kind of seen that world firsthand, all doing entry level business courses, level HR type stuff, um, marketing, like I mentioned earlier, trying to get into that sphere, right? The Waterloo side of things, yeah, you mentioned the uh, the IT side, and yep, a lot of them are going down that road, and many of them moved to the US after the fact as well. And I think one of the big things to consider here as well is like these guys don't have roots here for a strong proportion of these people, right? Like some of them have family and friends that moved here ahead of them. A lot of them don't, and they're coming here with nothing to really tie them down to this region. For someone like you or me, Dan, to decide, you know what? I'm moving to California. I'm done. I'm out. There's so much to that decision for us to do. Whereas for them, it's like, yeah, you know what? I moved to Toronto. It's fine. I got my education here. Now at least I have a North American education and I'm accepted in the Western world with my educational background. I got options now, right? Why am I going to pay to live in Toronto, uh, you know, a 40% marginal tax rate or whatever, I'm going to end up at buying a property for a million dollars for a shoebox. Like, why am I going to do all that when I can go to Austin, for example, that's got a pretty good tech scene right now. I can get a nice property for a similar price or even nicer property for less, for example. My expenses are so much lower. Like, there's opportunity there, right? There's options there. Um, that's just kind of my thoughts on that side of things. Thank you, Sanj. Um, I got Gina here with her hand up. I'll let Gina go ahead. Uh, then Peter got a bunch of speaker requests rolling in and just trying to get Bajesh back on here. I think when he was co-host, he was having a hard time unmuting his mic. Uh, so yeah, Gina, if you want to go ahead. Yeah, just a different uh, immigrant experience from um, from Europe. So my brother just uh, moved here five years ago from, from Europe. Him and his wife were professionals. Um, they moved, obviously, because of the economic conditions in Greece. Uh, but I got to so, you know, they were able to to find a job not in the field that they were in. Uh, you know, life is not the same here and they're not, you know, their plan is to move back. Their kids now, Theodore is 26. He is not going to live here like the the difference in life quality here versus there is un you can't compare it like people from. I believe, you know, most European countries, if they're moving here, they're looking to move back. There's a plan to move back. Really interesting insight. Do you, do we, do like, is there, I, like, is that, will that hold, I guess, depending on the, you know, I mean, if Canada experiences a major correction and the, you know, the economy is more favorable, would that change someone's perspective per se? Uh, I'll let, Gina, if you want to answer that one quickly, and then we'll get Peter in here, uh, and then Vijesh uh, and then Stephanie. I think if it was easier for them to, you know, possibly work in their field or 
you know, life being more affordable or services like medical, they've had a really, really hard time with, you know, finding a doctor, even in Toronto, it's not easy. There's, you know, there are things that are very difficult when you move here from a different, um, again, and I'm only speaking about Greece specifically, and I would, you know, I'll make a generalization for a lot of European countries. There, you know, the medical system there is very different than it is here. Um, the, if things change, yeah, maybe they would stay, but it's everything has been extremely difficult for them. Thanks, Gina. Gina, I really appreciate that. Actually, it's a great insight. Um, Peter, you got your hand. Yeah, if we're going to stick on the uh, immigrant experience, like let's let's stay on this uh, Greek immigrant uh, train here. <laughs> um, I can tell you similar experiences with people I know who come here from Europe and it's a handful of years and they're gone. And I, and I think that experience and that opportunity that, you know, my father's uh, been here for what, 60 years, give or take. He came here when he was 15, 16 and uh, he did very well himself, but I can tell you like the experience that they had 50 years ago, I is, I don't believe is there, but I'm not speaking from direct uh, firsthand knowledge, um, but, so I, and, and I've seen it, like he came here with three other brothers and the three left and he stayed and I can tell you he's doing much better, but you know, I don't think that that opportunity is there considering, and it's also that lifestyle, like Sanji mentioned, someone who's very well off that higher standard of living, uh, basically is, is not there and, uh, and they're working 12, 13 hours a day. And I've seen it too, like within my father's family business too. A lot of people come over from South Asia and same thing. It's, it's a grind for them in comparison to what they had, but, um, you know, but we also need it. Like the, and, and I can tell you, that's why we're, these numbers are being readjusted up every year is because like, especially in the short term, look at Ontario interprovincial migration is negative. Like the most negative it's ever been. And then like Ben had a great stat for Q1 of this year where you know, natural, the natural increase in population was zero. Births and deaths equaled out. So like, without that, without immigration, Ontario would be a negative in the first half of this year. So they need to readjust those. And I'm wondering, you know, is it is it that quality of life that is not there that's pushing people out? Yeah, it, it's, it is such an interesting uh, question. I, we got tons of hands up here, so I'm just going to try and get to all of them. Um, Stephanie, I think you're next in line, and then uh, Vijesh, Jordan, and Justice. Thanks. I think Peter brought up a really good point. Um, I am an immigrant myself, and I can speak to my experience. Um, you know, growing up in China, uh, our family always had a uh, uh, help in, in the house and also gardeners to take care of the garden. Uh, and here I'm uh, over 30 years old living in Toronto, trying to buy the first house for myself and I plan to live in the basement of that house and rent the upper unit because I cannot afford it. Um, you know, even with a good job in finance and both my, uh, my me and my, boyfriend work in finance industry. Both of us are uh, master educated, very, very smart and from the good school, I graduated. Um, we're a pretty smart person, but we cannot afford uh, 
entry level、um, house and cannot afford the same lifestyle. And the second point is, I had ten years. I spent ten years in U.S. Went to school and also worked there.、Um, I met a lot of people who had the same experience and. Only interested in getting Canadian PR because U.S. green card takes too much time. They are in the pool of of you know the the headline numbers you see three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand immigration、uh, immigrants、um, get approved to enter in Canada. My question is how you really have to look at the statistic of Canada statistics in terms of population growth rather than focusing on the headline. Numbers because not all of them are going to land here. <laughs> not all of them will、uh, land here permanently.、Uh, another anecdote story that、uh, my boyfriend is from Turkey, and one of his friend actually worked in Ukraine and and actually was brought into Canada, brought into、uh, Saskatchewan as、um, uh, refugees. And the comment from that friend is, <laughs> she thinks Canada is very undeveloped compared to Russian-ruled、uh, Ukraine, and they thought, you know, the the family, the couple thought they made a mistake and is already planning to go back after、uh, things normalize. It's the We, as in can you? I can't. I'm just struggling with a lack of infrastructure.、Um, you know why things like we have to worry about internet and stuff like that. Even with another thing is,、um, I I know a lot of Chinese student come into Canada、uh, as a student,、um, and right now even if they graduate and have a good job, they cannot buy until they get the PR. Personally, it took me one and a half years to get my PR card just because of the inefficiencies of the government.、Um, and、uh, another struggle I faced when I first came in is I already had four years of work experience in U.S. in the pretty decent firm. And when I came here, all I hear about is Canadian work experience, Canadian work experience, even though I had U.S. capital market experience. Um, to me, it seems like、um, institutions. I wouldn't call it racism, but in definitely,、um, definitely not fair for highly educated.、Bias? Huh? Sorry. Sorry. Would you say that there's a sort of bias? Yes.、Racism? Yeah, bias. I wouldn't call it racism. A bias towards Canadian experience. Um, and、uh, I heard stories about, you know, doctors and nurses, even though they had loads of experience and they couldn't、um, qualify for good-paying jobs in Canada. So I want to tie it back to real estate. Like in this environment, you need to have a good job, make a lot of money to be qualified for mortgages, and you have to be really sure that when recession hits. Your job is a hundred percent secure. Otherwise, for people like me who is already working,、um, 
I'm not. I'm not. In, I'm in no rush to make a, a purchasing purchasing decision right now. That is just my story. Thank you for allowing me to speak. Thanks, Stephanie.、Um, Vijesh, I think you were next up. Thanks, Dan, and thanks for waiting for me till the mic got started again. Uh, uh, all these perspectives, I completely agree with, like what Gina said and what Stephanie was saying, and、uh, Sanj as well. Like it's you know it's lived experience, and I just wanted to clarify that there's a difference between、uh, the top income earners that go abroad and the middle class people who go abroad, and then there's a difference between what they're experiencing anecdotally and what's happening statistically. So there's a lot to uncover. Just give me a little while to go through it step by step. So. If you're a rich person in any country, like if you're in the top one percent, your life is completely different, and the reasons you would move somewhere are completely different on top of that, right? Like the the lifestyle that you can demand and that you can genuinely get is completely different from what a middle class person would want to move. And you see this clearly in the fact that Greece has more millionaires moving there than Canada does. All right. So the the point is, there's a lot more millionaires going to like beaches and fancy places. They want to go to Miami and chill. They don't want to come here and struggle. What Canada is good at doing is attracting people like me who grew up in tiny houses in the middle of middle class India and wanted to. We're just hungry to make a difference. And for me personally, this has been a game changer. Like I am. Definitely making a lot more than my parents were making at this age, and my lifestyle is much better. It wasn't when I landed; it took a while. Like it's taken three years to get here, but now I can genuinely say things have worked out. Things have worked out well for me. They have also worked out well for all of my friends who are also middle-class Indian immigrants and、uh, Chinese immigrants, basically from middle-class backgrounds. All right, now they are deeply dissatisfied. They're completely dissatisfied with the way the country's, you know, treating them. They work so hard to get here. They can't afford houses. They can't do what they want. And they see right across the border that they can get better jobs and better pay. Here's what I'll say, and I'll add a little bit of anecdotal evidence to that. They don't realize that it's going to be a struggle everywhere. All right. So I've got a friend who's moved to France right now. He's doing his MBA over there. He's lived there for a year. He's roamed around all of Europe. Was very fascinated by the fact that he'd get to go to Europe and maybe live there, and now he's completely changed his mind. He's like, "No, I'm coming back to Toronto," because the struggles are there in every country. Like you're going to find some struggle in every country. The culture won't be right in some parts of Europe.、Uh, if you're, I've got friends who were gay back home in India, and they were in the closet, and they could only come out of the closet here. Okay, that's something that completely changes your perspective of moving to another country. The fact that you can live your true self. Only if you go to a Western liberal country, which you cannot do in India, doesn't matter if you're a billionaire. All right, if you're if you're in the closet, you're never going to be happy. You're never going to be satisfied. And yeah, you might want to give up some of that money to go abroad. Statistically speaking, Canada gets a lot more middle class people like me, and we cannot afford your houses. So some of us might leave, some of us might rent forever. But it's not a bull case at all. Your bull case is just built on. Easy money for the millionaires who already have it. The haves getting more, and、uh, you know it's already overinflated. We can barely afford it. So, yeah, good luck. Thanks. Thank you, Vijesh. I really appreciate that. And I guess that's sort of my my thought too. Is is you know, reality is I think most people who come here to purchase homes are doing so, and with the you know they would enter the credit system to do that, right? They would need access to Canadian credit, and so you know it's not so much like. You can't measure the the value of a house with the arbitrage of, of、um, you know excess、uh, demand and, and immigration or driven by immigration because a house isn't worth four hundred thousand people, right? It's worth 
$400,000. And if those people don't have access to that debt, that credit or whatever it is, like credit contraction would impact all buyers across across the board. Even even those, I don't think like the even the ones who would be sort of in the in the upper class who you're saying potentially could be going to other areas. I don't I think most of them would still need credit or would use it just because that's what we do here uh, to purchase a home. Um, I think I had Jordan and then Justice and then Sandra Peter. So Jordan, you want to go ahead here? Yeah, I was just going to say as a Ukrainian with a big Ukrainian family and a ton of Ukrainian friends and family, um, a lot of them are absolutely fucking stoked to be here. Um, so I think I, like there's a lot of good anecdotes here, but the idea that Canada isn't one of the best countries in the world to live in is completely horseshit. Doctor. Yes, tax rates are high. Wages are relatively low. You know, median house price versus uh, versus income isn't where it should be. But we're still miles and leagues above ninety percent of every other country out there for most for most things that matter in quality of life. The other thing I'll say is I meet a lot of recent immigrants who who from all kinds of backgrounds who are super stoked to be here, and many of them are doing very well or on the right path to do very well. So it's not like <laughs> I feel like the first half of this has been has been selling Canada as a dead end transit country. But it's not, man. I know tons of people doing very well and very stoked to be here. Um, and I know, yeah, so so that's just that anecdotal part out of the way. And then the other thing is that, yeah, I mean, the last two years we saw a net provincial outflow, but that's COVID, man. That we, You can't use that as a barometer of Ontario shit. Everywhere is shit when you're locked down for two years and can't do anything and can't, but it get, there's no benefit to being in a in a place like Toronto when you can't go anywhere. You might as well live in the middle of nowhere. Right, the net, why, net why, is why is Ontario the most negative? Because it's the it's the densest. Yeah, I gotta agree with Jordan on that. I mean, there's so many more people here, and just if you know, a lot of young people were making a decision to go into these smaller markets, like a Calgary, for example, to make that step into home purchases. Personally, people that I went to high school with, I know about five people that moved out to Alberta over the last two years just because of home prices and having that opportunity. So I gotta agree with Jordan on. Yeah, and, 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 and the other thing is, is like prior, the two years prior, 2018 and 2019, we saw a prevent, net provincial gain in Ontario by 135,000. That's after accounting for deaths and emigration. So it wasn't even, wasn't even close. Like we saw, we saw 34% of the immigration. And the other thing you'll find is that the immigrants who take advantage of the rural and north immigration program go where they need to go for two years and then come to the GTA right after. So, like, I, I, I can understand why the last two years looks pretty bad comparatively, but the last two years in Manhattan looks like dog shit too, right? And people are just now starting to see the reurbanization. People are starting to move back to the city. So I love that Twitter spaces is always uh, doomsday market vacation. So I'll just leave it at that. But I just wanted to th shed a little bit of positive light on the situation. So that, that's it for me. I do. Uh, I, I appreciate that, and I, I do want to. I, I want to get full spectrum on on the, the the topic, right? Like, I don't know necessarily if it if it is so bad, but I do. I don't think that immigration is the bull case that it was, like you're saying, you know, two years ago, um, per se. Like, and and maybe it is more of a, a hyper localized kind of thing. Like, maybe people have realized that maybe not Canada per se is is um, selling false hope in a lot of cases, but there are certain areas that are going to fare out better. And I don't know necessarily if if Ontario ends up being one of those for better or worse. But I think that you know, I, I, I keep coming back to this idea that right now, I think location matters more than ever in, in real estate investing. And we're almost evolving into what would be like a stock picker's market 
where if you do pick the right area, then there's a lot of opportunity. And, and I, I just think, you know, from my perspective, the Toronto side of things, expo- heavy exposure, like I, I think that jobs are really what be that's going to face challenges in the next couple of years. And, um, you know, my fear is that, um, you know, it's very driven by housing, uh, finance and, uh, and tech and, and none of which are doing an especially great job in, in the current economy. So I'm just curious to see how that plays out. Right. Like, and, and, and I guess the, the final piece, you know, might just to finish that thought is like, do we know if, or do we do, do, does the average person think that Toronto and Manhattan are going to recover as well as all of these other areas, you know, like this, all, like the population growth we've seen going to the Sun Belt as an example in the U.S. Um, I think I had uh, Justice next. Um, Justice, you want to go ahead? Yeah, sorry. I just want to say I'm not really a big fan of the whole immigration as a bull case. And the reason I'm not a fan of this is because I feel like this narrative actually feeds into a lot of uh, resentment from people because people end up thinking that, you know what, immigrants are here to come and take people's homes and they're not because for the first few years, most immigrants are actually renting. They're not, you know, buying real estate, but people actually think that it's because of immigrants, they can't afford a home. so that's why I don't really like the bull case for real estate. It, it sort of irritates me because I'm finding like a lot of negative sentiment towards immigrants. People blame immigrants because they can't buy a house. People blame immigrants because they think that they're taking jobs and people's wages are getting suppressed. These are all government failures and housing policy failures. And they're also like a failure of the government exploiting immigrants. Um, my parents were immigrants. My dad came here with $20 in his pocket and he had a wonderful life. And I'm so grateful that my parents came to Canada because my parents are from Pakistan. And in Pakistan, you're either rich or you're poor. There's like no middle class there. Like it's, it's awful, right? So I'm happy that my parents came here. But what I want to say about um, immigrants, like I think that, that with housing, they've been going through housing crisis for decades so the housing crisis is not new to them like they've actually faced housing problems for decades so i think that they are very resilient in the housing market because they're willing to buy properties with like you know four of their siblings and they're willing to live with their entire family they're willing to do like the intergenerational living. So for me, if, if there's a case for housing for immigrants, that's more of what it is. And it's kind of sad because they're basically living in inadequate housing a lot of the times. Another thing about immigrants is that they have um, the highest uh, level of post-secondary degrees. And sometimes like when I post this on Twitter, people laugh at it and they say, oh yeah, they're getting degrees from the countries they're from. No, this is post-secondary degrees in Canada. So like children of immigrants have like a much higher likelihood of getting post-secondary degrees. If you actually look at the data from Stats Canada, they, they have a higher like attainment of degrees because parents to give their kids a better life and education is a big one. So like, for example, um, 39% of dentists are immigrants, 36% of doctors are immigrants, 37% of pharmacists are immigrants, um, 23% of RNs are immigrants. So like there's, uh, there's that piece as well. But one thing that I would say is that immigrants in Canada, like as far as I'm concerned, in terms of um, how they're paid to do their jobs, like there's data on that too. They're actually paid less for the jobs they're doing 
versus Canadian born people. So I think if Canada does want to continue with immigration, they need to treating immigrants better. And that does mean like actually paying them proper wages, not bringing them here so you can pay them less wages so you can pay everybody less wages because that narrative is actually getting quite awful. And like, I'm sometimes worried about hate crimes being committed against immigrants because of this whole narrative that immigrants are coming here to get something. They're actually here to give something and that includes like universities international students like we need to start doing better for immigrants we need to start pushing for you know post-secondary um institutions to build housing for these kids like not keep treating them that way but yeah um that's all i really wanted to say about the immigrant piece thanks justice um i think i had uh actually next then uh stephanie and vijesh um actually do you want to go ahead Hey, thanks, Dan. So if I speak about my experience, so I've been uh, living in two different countries, one Australia and then Canada. Basically, I'm an immigrant. So first I moved to Australia for higher studies. And initially, my plan was to move to Canada. And with me, there are hundreds and thousands of other uh, people who want to move out of India, basically, and to have a better life because they think that they they don't get enough opportunities back in our country. Now, what I've noticed so far is that lately, and even from last five, five, 10 years, most of the people wants to move to Canada, not Australia, not Canada, not even US after, after Trump came into the power. That is because immigration, the most good, like the most uh, positive thing about Canada is that the immigration is really smooth compared to other countries. And moreover to that, not just for the student themselves, but for their parents as well. Now, I cannot say about other people, but most of my generation, they think like when they move to other country, they plan to call their parents after certain years so that they can also have a better life in other countries. And Canada is the best country for them to have and call their parents because just Canada only allows them to call their parents and have them as a permanent resident after certain years because Australia, I know they, they charge almost $50,000 per parent for immigration and that too, even four or five years of waiting. US, uh, well, everyone knows how, how long it takes to take a green card for for permanent residency. UK, lately after the break, Brexit, they started uh, giving uh, student work permit and also the permanent residency but there is also very slim chances of it because there are very uh, tough conditions to get the permanent residency so that, that leaves people one and only option and that's why i feel that even though right now canada goes into a recession by next year or whatever the condition is there are probably hundreds and thousands of people out there who are waiting to come in here in canada and have a better life so that's why probably i would say that canada doesn't matter what who comes in power whether it's liberal or conservative people back there they don't know how uh, how the politics works in canada they just want to come into canada have an experience have a better life over here have better jobs because clearly if we look at it quite i mean hugely underpopulated compared to other countries other asian countries like i would say india because basically i come basically i come from india and they don't have that much opportunity they get there compared to in Canada. So, yeah, I mean, in long run, definitely immigration is going to be a good, I would say, for Canada. And they also need people over here to fill the labor jobs. But I would not say that uh, 
what it's going to take on real estate but definitely immigration is not going to stop anyway probably for next until the canada government says that okay we don't want any more people people right here thanks actually i i appreciate that i, I guess one of my curiosities is when you describe that like because I, I would agree I, I think based on the sentiment that i'm hearing that you know there is I would say probably just as many who who feel positively about the experiences as do negatively. So it is interesting to hear both sides of the argument as well. I think that the interesting part is those who do feel you know positively or that there is still a lot of opportunity is um, that I, I guess my question would be, is the a necessary part of achieving that Canadian dream per se? And that like as a as a channel to getting that that uh, I don't know maybe class mobility I guess they would call it or or, or upward mobility, um, achieving wealth, achieving a better life, um, and and if so, like does that make it you know for those who who do remain um, in, in you know favorable terms with wanting to come here, does that mean that that you know primarily most of them would come with the objective of owning a piece of Canadian real estate, right? Um, I think I had uh, Stephanie. Did you want to go ahead? Um, yeah, I think definitely in the beginning of the space, like, a lot of us sounded way more negative than we needed to. I I agree with Jordan that uh, Canada still trumps you know ninety percent of the country out there, and even for me, if I, I'm here for a reason, right? Um, I think what I don't, don't like is that uh, a lot of the real estate agent that I talk to have this lazy narrative um, that short term, oh, you're going to pay attention to race and long term, don't worry about real estate because immigration is always going to come. And I really don't like that. It seems this has, you know, this narrative has marketed to home buyers as a rule of thumb like a truth that will never be should never be questioned and i don't like that and i think that's the beauty of those spaces like we should really think about the drivers of, of that narrative and if those drivers still hold true today um i think that that's the 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 value that i get out of the the space is is that and i don't I just don't like the, the you know people are took it as God given truth that don't worry about the price you pay for real estate because immigration is always going to come and we are being just like the justice queen said immigrants are being marketed as bag holders like eventually we are going to uh, buy Canadian real estate and and and. and doesn't care about the price that we pay, which is not not the truth. And I think that's that's what I'm going to say. Thanks, Stephanie. It's actually a really really interesting insight. Um, I haven't never really thought about it from the perspective of like just the optics of how everyone is you know selling it to one another as well. So uh, <laughs> that's a, a good thought, especially on, on what uh, what Justice Queen was saying. Um, Vijesh, you've had your hand up for a bit here. Did you want to jump in? Yeah, thanks, Dan. I I, uh, I love the fact that Stephanie called us bag holders because that's exactly what we are. It's exactly what we feel like coming in. And Dan, like you said, you know, 
home ownership is a dream for everyone, whether you're local born or immigrant. I don't think that's different. It doesn't change. Everyone wants to own a home. It's just whether you can do it or not. And eventually you'll give up on it and be a renter forever. But I don't think, I don't think if you asked someone randomly, hey, if homes were affordable, would you do it? And they definitely. Uh, what I wanted to say was uh, about the this narrative that uh, immigration is the primary driver. It it is an element in your housing bubble over here. And the housing bubble in Canada, as we all know, is the worst in the world, but it's only an element. It's not the main key driver. Like I said, the key driver is your fiscal and monetary policy. And the reason that is, is because I've got two examples, one country that reduced immigration and one country that had record levels of immigration. And they both saw opposite impacts on the housing. One of them I've put up UK, which is where I lived from 2010 to 2013. and I promise you, 2010, when I landed, the government changed over there. They went right wing and it was all based on cutting immigration. That was their flagship policy. They wanted to get immigration down under 100,000. They were very, very bitter about it. Okay, And that's also one of the reasons why it led to Brexit. Now, the UK takes net 200,000 people and they've got 68 million people living over there. So on, if you just take those numbers, divide them up, as a percentage of population, their net immigration is 0.3. It's next to nothing, all right? It's barely anything. They still complain about it. Speak to a British person. He's, he or she's going to complain about too many people coming. But it's next to nothing. And yet the house prices go straight up. Money's been coming in from Russia. Money's been coming in from all over the world. People have been using London as a place to money launder. It just goes straight up. Uh, interest rates are next to nothing, right? And the opposite has been happening in Dubai, where they take a lot of immigrants, they let a lot of people live over there, not permanently, but a lot of migrate over there every single year. And uh, the property prices have been dropping since 2015, 2016, I think, because of overbuilding. I want to wrap this all up by saying, getting immigrants from another country the way Canada does, and not giving them the opportunity to even rent properly, even rent nicely and not be in rooming houses is kind of like calling guests over for dinner, telling them to get their own food, get their own wine and not having a chair for them. Like literally telling them, hey, come, but you're going to have to stand while eating and please, yeah, dinner long as well. And please leave as soon as you can after giving us dinner. It's, it's just not fair to people coming over and you need them to come over. Your economy kind of relies on the entrepreneurialism and the drive that these middle class immigrants have of coming here with that hunger. So, yeah, that's what I want to say. Thanks. Thanks, Vijesh. Um, Michael, I see your hand up there. Did you want to jump in here? Sure. Thank you. Um, I think there's been some really great points. And Vijesh, of course, raises the fact that, you know, monetary policy is an extremely important driver of prices and uh, impacting us right now. But in terms of just immigration specifically, uh, Yes, it may be true that, you know, of the very large number, that's three to 400,000 that are coming here. Uh, not all of them, you know, are here immediately, as Stephanie pointed out, or maybe a large percentage of them are still renting. But even if that's the case, um, I think, A, it speaks to the general shortage of housing that's available, which is something that takes a very long time to remedy. And the fact that if there's, you're seeing these immigrants are going to put upwards pressures up on rent, then that, you know, and increases rent pricing, and that helps kind of put a floor on those entry-level units, which is where they are most likely going to be renting. And of course, there's going to be a spread between entry-level units and, you know, detached homes, uh, single-family homes, but 
you know, it's like when you raise minimum wage at a corporation, usually that's going to put upward pressure across the, the management chain as well, because, you know, people start to not get happy if, if that spread gets too close. So I think in a roundabout way that the large immigration, even if all the people who are coming here are renting at first, it's still kind of, you know, that, that demand kind of filters down the chain eventually. And maybe one last thing. Uh, I know that, you know, in other countries in the world, you know, renting is not kind of viewed as uh, so much of a bad thing and a large percentage of the population does it and maybe they don't have as frothy housing bubbles. But as long as Canadian culture is very sound, you know, priding home ownership, plus um, I think maybe I'm going to create a stereotype here, but some of the larger groups of immigrants that come to Canada also value home as, you know, kind of a, a value that they have. Uh, in their in their society, so as long as you have both cultures pushing, you know, to desire home ownership in the long run, uh, and then you have you know the increased pressures on rent from immigrants who are not necessarily in a position to buy now but will buy later, then these are all kind of contributing factor to uh, to increase prices um, overall in in the real estate. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate the insight, and, and uh, I would agree. You know, a couple of people were mentioning mentioning in the thread for this Twitter space that, like the, the tweet thread, that uh, you know, the upward pressure on rents is ultimately a driver between you know the immigration being the input and and the housing market and you know upward direction being the output. I, I would generally agree with that. Like, I think that as long as you have excess demand in the fullness of time, it ultimately will. Uh, region equilibrium that is moving in, in an upward direction. I guess the challenge that I have here is examining Canada as like whether or not it's in more of a late stage capitalist economy where, you know, if you look at most of Europe where, you know, Bajesh has, has presented quite a bit of data um, about different differences in those areas or, you know, the UK versus Dubai as an example, um, ultimately, like, does does it all, do we end up with a situation if we can't figure out a way to get to housing supply without institutions being the primary developers and ultimately maybe owners, do we end up with, like, are we just way earlier to a, you know, European, let's say, housing model? I'm half Swiss, so, like, my, you know, that would be my experience where you're looking at a country where, the primary tenure among young people is is rental, right? And I think even nationally, regardless of age, is you know it's less than than forty uh, percent. Believe when you look at a country like Germany, like you know, they, I think that they've obviously made some changes from a policy perspective. But um, again, like where young people, especially in an urban, say, choose more to rent. And then, you know, the ownership is more in the suburban areas and it's in a lot of cases more passed down from generation to generation. Is that ultimately like how this whole thing ends, given that, you know, in Europe, even if you go back hundreds of years where, you know, migration, like we're talking about, wasn't able to be done with planes, but it was done by boat or uh, on land. And so, you know, you know, Europe was when it was in its infancy as one of those places in the world where people, everybody wanted to move, um, you know, they, they attracted a lot of people. And then eventually, you know, you get to a point where the supply and demand imbalance, um, it, it, it ends up with, you know, I guess essentially 
a renter's economy or gradually getting towards a renter's economy. Is that where is that the sort of the ultimate end game here in Canadian real estate? I don't know if anybody has any thoughts on that one. That's sort of the final piece that I wanted to touch on as well. Like, and then we can we can probably wrap up. So, um, but but just if you have experience in in European economies or other other more like late stage capitalistic economies, their housing markets look post immigration. Maybe if they're not getting more, um, they're not they're not having the same sustained levels of immigration that we're having here. Um, I don't know if anybody has any insight there. I think I'd agree with that. I, Dan, I know you and I have spoken about this before, and you know it's definitely something I can see happening where we do move more towards a rental economy, just because people are forced to do that. Unless, of course, unless I'm wrong and get affordable over here, I can't see. I know house prices are going down this year; they might go down next year as well. But I genuinely can't see Canada getting affordable in my lifetime. So, a certain section of the population. Some millennials are going to miss the dream. It just feels like that, and they are going to rent. And yeah, I can see that happening across the developed world. I don't know if anyone else, Peter. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that as well. Yeah, the other the other piece that I would actually might be worth thinking about is you know because we have that vastness similar to the U.S. Like, and the U.S. maybe would be you know only one or two generations ahead of us on that migration, like you know cyclicality by comparison to the, to European countries. Maybe you know it's more likely that Canada ends up with uh, with that type of housing model, where um, you know a lot of smaller areas trade at much lower prices. Maybe there's certain areas, you know, like in the U.S., there's massive disparity in, in price between different areas, right? Um, and do we ultimately end up with uh, local boom and bust cycles around industry, around migration, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like, are we? And and is this sort of I guess just even adding to that that um, importance of geography when investing in real estate that I was sort of uh, talking about in kind of in the middle of this discussion. Um, sorry, Peter, I saw your hand up there, and then uh, and then Bilal, um, did you want to jump in, Peter? Uh, you know, no, Bilal put his hand up. He hasn't spoken yet. I'll, I just wanted to respond to Vijesh too, but let let Bilal go. Go ahead, Bilal. Uh, yeah. yeah. Hi, everyone. I've been on this space for since the start and haven't been uh, participating in it. So this is my first time. So, you know, really great listening to your views and Vishesh and others as well. So one thing uh, regarding immigration, which I want you to point out is that the Canada, Canadian model of immigration is very different to what other countries have. What basically Canada is attracting is a, is a is a is a family is a family couple married couple with a, at least a master's education and with twenty thousand dollars in in a bank account with a higher English score, which is like probably if you look at it from a global perspective is like the top cream in the world if you consider the entire global population. So whatever they're attracting is is you know contributing towards the market as well, and I think this is. Uh, Reflective of the fact that during COVID, a lot of uh, people who were uh, thinking to get into workforce but couldn't get, but the work from work from home culture made them, you know, available to the market, and that's why we've seen we've seen a lot of spending here in Canada in terms of retail. I don't know what you guys think about it, but I think that's one of the factors that has pushed up a lot of prices here because in the, you know household income have risen considerably over the past six to twelve months because both of the parents or you know could. Uh, are working and they don't really have to go to work anymore. Uh, secondly, uh, 
Yes, uh, I think uh, in terms of the bull case regarding the housing market, I've been in the market since the last couple of years since I moved here. But I've been, you know, holding on to my holding on to the trigger. I think the market uh, was hyped up and everything, but uh, you know, generally speaking, from what Vishesh and others have said that that you know the those who are moving from middle class from other countries like India or Pakistan. They're they're sustaining a very very good lifestyle here, and you know, the, and the situation that has been is going on in those countries. Uh, a lot of people are bringing or selling assets back home and trying to buy property here as well. So that is also something which is driving uh, in China as well, uh, driving up the property prices because people have been able to save a lot of uh, money uh, from back home for their for their down payment. But uh, I think that uh, this this uh, this bull case has has hyped has been hyped up too much by realtors over the last uh, many many years, and I think this cooling off period will do well for the for the overall market. Fair enough. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Bilal. Uh, Peter, did you want to go ahead here? Yeah, I wanted to jump in because I'm not a big fan of the uh, of the narrative because it's it's too easy, where they just say, "Hey, four hundred thousand people coming every year, you know, buy anything in sight." Um, but I did have a question um, I wanted to raise is our market started to decline like we saw it on the ground late February, early March, but basically since probably what late April, May, the rental market has been like on fire, right? And I could tell you uh, uh, for, for some reason, a lot of my investor clients have just had lease listings pop up where I've been doing so many of them. And I'm wondering if there's just a correlation here where it's like, okay, well, you know, the, it, may, it may not be a bull case for, for prices, but still for cost of living, like they got to live somewhere, right? So your, you know, the, the price of the home might be going down, but still those rental rates have been rising probably like 2% per month since April. So I'm wondering, aside from, let's say, higher rates, if that's playing a factor into this as well. Yeah, it's an interesting thought, and I, I think it especially touches on the the element, uh, at least from my perspective, where you know I think as as rents come uh, come down, you know the or sorry, rents come up and prices come down, regardless of the capital cost, you know, understanding that a lot of investors are buying with an infinite timeline or even modeling, you know, twenty plus years, um, you know, if you're if you're assuming uh, you, know, you know present day rates even over the course of an entire real estate investment, it would probably actually model out better than it would have in the past, you know, than it ever would have in the past couple of years um, with with the, the direction that rents are headed. So, you know, when you think about, like when you reevaluate all of the topics from the conversation that we've had so far, it, it makes me wonder if that actually becomes a better, um, I don't know, it's more attractive for investors who have cash, right? Like rather than ones who are purchasing with credit. Um, and we know, you know, when we're discussing the, the wealthier groups of um, immigrants who are who are buying here in a lot of cases they're buying for investment the only, the other piece that I think that we haven't mentioned that I I don't know if, if there's you know, like the expertise here to discuss it too much but if we end up getting a disparity between the Canadian and US dollar as a result of interest rate policy changing uh, north and south of the border or being too far apart from one another you know like I think that the Canadian economy is a lot more likely to break sooner than the US and if we have to if we have to start cutting faster than than the US, if we end up having a discounted Canadian dollar against the US dollar, you know, all of those factors that I just mentioned now become even more exacerbated for 
the foreign investor who a either has cash or now even if they're buying with with Canadian credit, um, you know, either a rates are coming down because Canada has to to front run um, due to, to the recession that we're likely to end up in or or b you know you're buying at, at a discounted spread to the us dollar so i'm very interested to watch how those dynamics play out as well um i think peter and stephanie had their hands up and then um i'll try and get to the or sorry P, sorry pierre and uh, stephanie had their hands up uh, pierre did you want to go ahead uh, quickly and then um i'm probably going to try and wrap up shortly just so we can keep it uh, try and keep it running an hour and yeah, no, i'll thanks thanks for letting me on dan um no i, I the I, the great conversation um Ultimately, Canada's population is growing steadily, right? You look at any chart, we're, we're, um, we're, we're doing well um, in comparison to our um, uh, you know, other international um, examples. Uh, and, and that trend's going to continue. I, I, don't, I don't see that trend coming down. Um, you know, I lived abroad, and when it came, I, I was living in the Middle East for a while, and, and everybody would come to me and ask me how how they could immigrate to canada and canada is always the one that people are are um are uh, interested in because um you know it, it's a it's a peaceful place it's it, it does it, it's it, it doesn't have the same gruffness as as the united states it's kind of the switzerland of north america so folks are always going to want to um move to canada um and i think that trend continues the the only the only thing and, and this is not a short-term thing i think you, you, you start seeing in some of these population uh, projections that the year-over-year -year growth is going to slow down. So, for instance, if we're, if we're growing 300,000 a year today, that's that, and, and then next year it's another 300,000, that's a, that's a decline in year-over-year -year change in, in population. Um, so, and, and, and that, you know, I think that trend probably continues to some degree. Um, the... Uh, the other thing is that the global cities, right? The Torontos, the Dubais, the Londons, the New Yorks, the the, um, the um, LAs of the world. Um, those those are very transitional cities. People come for a while. They, they um, you know they they tend to be uh, young people who are um, you know just getting into the job market, and then they, they they move up in their careers, and then. You know, then they move out to the suburbs, and, and or, or or they or they move to some other place in the world. So we, you know, globe. today the, the it's amazing how mobile and global people are. So you know, Toronto will have you know there'll be a churn of people that come in and out of Toronto um, uh, or Vancouver um, over time. So um, if if those if those cities continue to be dynamic offer good paying jobs um you're going to see people come in and then and then they, they they may stay and move to the suburbs when they start um establishing families or they or they may move to dubai where they get excellent jobs or even in um saudi arabia right now if, if folks are looking for uh, big money quickly um go to saudi arabia all of you guys could probably get excellent paying jobs over there um and it's it's a little bit of a uh uh, it's a little bit brutal at first, but um, the the income potential over there is enormous. So, it, it, in a way, it's 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 not. Let's you know, you have to kind of. Most of you are fairly young. I'm a bit older than you guys. Um, at, at 30 years old, I, I was living in San Francisco, and I had to put up with the shittiest living conditions for for years. Um, but as you move up in your career, and you you know things change. You get married. You have 
dual incomes. You um, you eventually you know buy a house in in Berkeley or in, in Oakland, and and you have a great life. So what's happening right now is not necessarily what is what your 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 lot is going to be in 15, 20 years from now. I know that the initial days in places like Toronto suck because the you know prices are high and you know you got to live in a shitty place. But over time that changes, and um, and you may even end up. Going to Dubai, right? or or uh, you know uh, Singapore for work for a period of time. So, um, but fundamentally, in the short term, I I don't know that the immigrant um, impulse is gonna is gonna save the day in terms of the um, kind of declining marketplace right now. Uh, I think uh, you know this is a rates problem. This is a this is a bubble problem, and and those things have to get resolved. And I, and I think that the immigration numbers are kind of baked in the cake. And so those those aren't going to, you know, you know, it's not like the immigrants are going to be able to pay um, um, more for housing at the rates that that exist today than than your average Canadian. So, um, you know, in the short term, I don't think the immigration um, situation helps. Um, but this may be short lived, right? You know, um, markets are really fast nowadays. They, you know, they, they, you know, we think back to the '90s where things were really slow, but there's there's so much dynamism now in the in the in the global marketplace that um, you know this this thing in, that we're experiencing right now could be could be short lived. It may be a little bit longer than we want it to be, um, but um, fundamentally, you know, um, things will improve. Thanks, Barry. I, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, it is interesting, especially examining it from the perspective of, of price decline in the in the GTA, especially, which is where I, at least I have a, a lot of data for. You know, it, it did almost seem like we we overcorrected at the beginning. Not to say that there isn't more downside available, but um, I did just I, I found that kind of interesting that prices had come down further than what what rates had actually caused them to or caused the reduction in buying power so far. Um, well, that's that's gonna that's gonna put support in it. Uh, that, you know, at some point, yeah. people are going to get get back in again, and if the if the uh, if the affordability levels are improving, um, you know, the the immigrants that are already there, who are like later in their careers, are going to are going to find an opportunity to to um, uh, to jump back in. Yeah, for sure. Um, Stephanie, did you want to jump in here? I know you had your hand up, and then put it down. Yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, Pierre put out some of a good chart uh, immigration versus. Uh, condo units under construction. Um, I, I think that's a that that that's worth a look. And another thing, I wouldn't treat uh, rent rent increasing as um, as a as a sort of a normal situation because you have the border opening, you have uh, July August school starts, and then you have Airbnb come come back online. <laughs> In the GTA area, I don't know how much uh, the other factors, uh, short-term factors, are attributing to the rent increases in the GTA area. So just yeah, wanted to sure. point it out. Yeah, that's fair. And I would definitely not encourage people to, uh, you know, their real estate investments today based on the month-over-month -month growth that we've seen in rents. Like, obviously, by no means is that sustainable, but. There are people investing as though uh, you know thirty percent year over year price growth is sustainable. So who knows what kind of model models are going on out there right now? But um, but but yeah, like I, I would agree that I think that eventually rents will likely settle, especially if we see pressures on wages and some loosening in the labor market as a result of recession. Um, the I, I guess we'll get to I think Sanjin and then Jesse, and then we'll try and wrap up here. Um, Sanjin, did you want to go ahead? 
Uh, no, it was Jesse first. Okay, Jesse, you want to go ahead? Sure. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on a couple of things, offer a couple of thoughts. Um, here in the Vancouver suburbs, we kind of seen these cycles, like 1981 affordability was really bad, 1990, um, 2008 it got really bad, and then now it's now. But 2015, you could buy a house in the Vancouver suburbs for about $600,000 with a 2.5% interest rate. So when you think about that, I mean, it just kind of puts it in perspective that I don't know I'm not I'm not a big fan of the narrative of like Canada's always going to be unaffordable I think we go through pretty long cycles like at least we have for the last 40 years and I kind of expect that to continue probably so but this stuff takes time to shake out right it's not like all of a sudden next year it's going to be affordable again um, and it doesn't even necessarily mean massive price declines either even though we are seeing that right now in our suburbs here in Vancouver, but uh, like 19, 1990s in Vancouver, we kind of just stagnated for like 10 years and uh, rates went up a bit similar to now. It got super unaffordable. Um, there was a really big run up in the late eighties too uh, in prices. And so it got super unaffordable early nineties and then rates went up and, uh, and then just stagnated for like 10 years. And the market just had to wait for incomes to catch up. And incomes, you know, they grew, rents grew. And then by the early 2000s, um, payments were super affordable again on an income basis. And then the market started ripping into 2008. And then 2008 came and, and uh, payments were, again, super unaffordable. And then it corrected and it kind of plateaued again until 2015. And then we all kind of know what happened from 2015 to now. So, yeah, just, uh, I don't know, I'd be careful with the narrative of, like, Canada's always going to be unaffordable. Um, I think it can easily flip back again, but I think it's like a 10, 15-year cycle, and it sure doesn't happen overnight. So, uh, and then also one other thought, just on rents. Uh, I'm not sure what Toronto's like, uh, but out here in Vancouver, at least, you know, we see these headlines of these huge, massive 30% year-over-year increases. And those are true, but um, if you look, you know, a lot of that's just coming out of a massive COVID trough. So we're just making up for, for what we lost. Uh, if you go back in 2018 in, like, city core of Vancouver, like downtown and, and, and proper, like, city of Vancouver, we're only off about 10% on rents from 2018. Um, it just, it had a massive dip from COVID and then same with the Fraser Valley, the suburbs, we're probably up maybe it's more, it's maybe 20, 25% from, from 2018, but it's certainly not like 30% or 40%, um, like some of the year over year increases are showing. So definitely something to keep in mind as well. Thanks Jesse. Great insight. Um, yeah, and, and I, I would agree generally affordability element, and I think that, that sort of even alludes more to the idea I was mentioning, but in the U.S., you know, like I, I think it is easy to say, especially because a lot of the population exists within the GTA and the GVA, but like it, it's not necessarily massively unaffordable across the country, right? Like some of the, you know, I know a lot of people from, from my small town who moved to, um, you know, Calgary or like Fort Mac as an example went during the last oil boom and, and wages were amazing during that period of time and houses were quite affordable, right? Like it's not, you know, there is, and I think that we could ultimately start seeing that happen as Canada starts to diversify the economy and people are around uh, to, to chase that wage growth uh, in, in an economic downturn that we will start seeing this, you know, a little bit more of a microcosmic effect in, in the Canadian real estate market, the similar to the way that you see the U.S. markets behave, right? And that's, again, why I, I do think that, you know, picking the right horse and, uh, and geography is going to become important in investing in Canadian real estate over the next couple of decades. Um, Sanj, give us some, uh, some awesome final thoughts here before we wrap up. 
Yeah, sorry, I got interrupted by a phone call earlier when I uh, had my hand up there. I just want to kind of comment on um, like a second choice in a sense, right? Um, not not to say that it's a backup option, but what we tend to see on the uh, IT side of things as well is like you get a lot of candidates going into the U.S. for an H-1B visa, and I think it's 85,000 seats a year or something like that, 90,000 seats a year that they have. And for those people that don't get in, I mean, you're talking about a half a million applicants. Canada's a great second choice, right? So kind of speaking to Jordan's point earlier as well, that, you know, it's, it's not all doom and gloom over here. It, it does have a great opportunity here for a lot of people to come and build a life. I mean, obviously it's not going to be the same as going to Silicon Valley and earning, you know, $300,000 a year doing whatever it is they're doing, but we still have options here with a lot of good different tech companies up here. And <clears throat> excuse me, I do have quite a bit of clients actually that, are working from home in Toronto uh, for companies based out of New York and San Francisco being paid in USD. And I mean, it's working out pretty fantastic for them. I mean, they're, they're earning US, they're earning at that clip they would be earning down there and they're living over here. And I guess that kind of poses another um, premium in a sense to pricing because they now have that extra dollar to play with that. Say, for example, I wouldn't have if I was going up against them on a bidding war, but it, it definitely applies to you know, the opportunity that's still here from that perspective, it's still our largest trading partner and we're still very intertwined economically in that sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point, Sanj. Um, I, I don't have much to add here. Um, basically, I, I think what I sort of uh, learned from the conversations that maybe in the short term, not necessarily anything massive to worry about in regards to whether or not, you know, like from a secular perspective, you know, migration in Canada has become unattractive or anything. It seems pretty split down the center in that uh, respect. And, and I don't I think, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot of issues reaching the targets, whether or not the affordability for those individuals moving here um, is going to be achievable, might not you know, be a positive factor for the Canadian real estate market for the for the foreseeable future until we see some sort of changes in rates. Um, and, and I guess in the fullness of time, ultimately, it sounds like most people can agree that, that immigration is probably a bull case for Canadian real estate, but in the short term, unlikely to outweigh um, you know, the impact of, of rates and sort of this cycle and perhaps bubble coming to an end here. Um, if I miss anything, feel free to jump in. If not, um, let's, let's wrap it up. Thank you guys for an amazing, uh, an amazing Thursday and everybody enjoy your weekend. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan.